Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I'm very excited today because I get to talk to some very good friends of mine and uh, and get to share some more stories because that's kind of what we're, we're all missing a lot these days is being able to sit over uh, some beverages and, and have a discussion about work. It's, uh, it's definitely one of the things I missed sorely from my last project is that we finished the project, everything was successful, and then there was no drinks afterwards. So I'm trying to recreate that a little bit today. And... Uh, I'm excited, especially excited because these, the war stories we have are, for the lack of a better word, unprecedented. These are our working conditions that are brand new to all of us. We're, we're kind of figuring out our place in a new sort of normalcy, which I, I now that the vaccines are rolling out, I, I hope that this normalcy goes away and we go back to the old normalcy, but I'm very excited today. My three friends today are Jeremy Letterman, Jackson Gallagher, and Mike Hank Hankowski from Fragment Nine. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. So I'm going to start with you, Jeremy, because uh, hopefully you can give me a little bit of a summary. You guys went down to Orlando, got sequestered, and did an entire NBA season in a matter of weeks. Uh, I, I want to say it was three months. Three days. months. Not that anyone was counting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jackson. How many days was it for you? 106 days. There you go. <laughs> 106 days, and you could not leave the venue? Uh, uh, Let's start with you, Jackson. Or the hotel. Okay, sorry to totally steal your train there, Jeremy. Yeah, I don't uh, care. <laughs> could not. We, we had a hotel, uh, uh, like, campus resort place in disney world and we had the venue and a bus that went between the two and that was it like we, we drove past a mcdonald's every day and i can't tell you i don't think i've ever won mcdonald's more in my life just staring at freedom on the other side of the bus window twice a day mcdonald's when mcdonald's becomes your sign of freedom you know you've you've lost it yeah <laughs> cool so let's start with you jeremy what was like the first phone call uh, you know the vast majority of our uh, industry is sitting at home and you get a phone call like hey can you pull this off what was so, your first thoughts so it was actually jackson who got the first phone call fuse got the contracts to basically supply all the equipment for this project down in florida and when they were looking at the project they said okay well we need a team of four programmers who are used to working together and can kind of think and act as one was sort of the, the brief. Um, and so 
Patrick Eaton, who's a good friend of Jackson, got in touch with Jackson and said, Jackson, I need your team to go do this. Like, I can't find, I can't think of another group of people who could do this in this way, who like work together so closely all the time. And we all kind of looked at it ourselves and we're like, well, this is never something we'd ever do in any other circumstance normally, nor would we probably get asked to, but, but yeah, I mean, like it was an opportunity that we really couldn't turn down both like from an, from a like interesting perspective, right? Like what an interesting gig. And then also from a like, there is literally nothing else going on in the world right now perspective. Um, so we we felt and still do feel sort of, I don't like using the word blessed, but I do think it is appropriate, like quite blessed to have gotten the phone call and the opportunity and sort of, sort of the trust from Patrick and the guys at Fuse to be the team to go down and, and do this project. Right on. We'll, we'll say fortunate, lucky, either thank, one of those. Thank, I think yeah. those all work. Go. There you go. Yeah. You guys are, uh, fortune favors the bold. So I can only imagine that uh, had a, a large factor there. So Jackson, I would can only imagine that the logistics going through your brain were mind boggling. You had like, oh my God, how am I going to get four people and all this gear in the middle of a pandemic from all corners of the US down to Florida? I think the the logistics that were going through my mind were more like, how was I going to turn my life off for, for three and a half months? Um, and then all of that was secondary. I mean, especially with everyone we're working with at Fuse, um, that wasn't really going to be much of a concern. And I mean, there were certainly a lot of other very smart people on the project outside of us. So uh, yeah, I, probably 98% of my headspace was shutting down my life for three and a half months. Oh my God. Cause you had, you have to leave your whole family behind and yeah. Almost... Left my pregnant wife at home and abandoned my friend's campaign running for mayor, uh, that I was volunteering on and, uh, my weekly drinks with my neighbors and all that stuff. So that was, yeah, like D3 is going to Florida. No problem. Done that a million times. It's, I think it's also important to like, you know, the context of the phone call, you know, the whole thing was kind of put together in such a short time frame. Like we got the phone call, what, like a week and a half maybe before we flew to prep. Yeah. Not even. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah we had a, like, we had a week to, to spin our lives down and, and make preparations. Cause like, even when you go out on tour or something, you'll have a couple days back where you can read your mail, pay your bills, see whatever you can bring significant others or friends out to shows and, see them when the tour goes through somewhere but like three and a half months i mean you're the equivalent of like being on a submarine in the pacific ocean I think yeah it, basically it, it wasn't it wasn't even the, the the context of the ask from like a programming perspective like sure there was like there was definitely some logistics that we all needed to work out between the four of us and figure out like best practices and whatnot but like that really wasn't the sort of sort of that wasn't the thing that was weighing on us heading into this gig, right? The thing weighing into us was like all these medical forms you're getting from the NBA and like these things where it's like, you're gonna have to sit in your hotel room for seven days. And like, we were like, can we get Amazon packages? Can we get like, how do we get like pharmacy, right? If we need like prescriptions, how do we do that? Can we get booze ever? You know, like it was like those things that were sort of the bigger and more- Unknowns, uh, yeah. yeah. I forgot <laughs> yeah, about this. There was, there was a solid two weeks where the most pressing thing on our minds was, can we get Amazon packages? 
Or, yeah, or do we have to bring enough, like, you know, toiletries and whiskey to the bubble to last us three months? Like, oh, my God, Hank was so anxious about contact solution for two yeah, weeks. Man. He's like, how do I get enough contact solution to the bubble? Like, like, do I need to go to Costco? <laughs> I showed up with four bottles in my suitcase. I was like, I got to see it. I can't program the video if I can't see it. And I thought I stocked up on whiskey and booze, but that lasted about the first week. And thankfully, we were able to, to order it in daily in the bubble. It's the first thing, Jackson, admitting you have a problem. Because a lot has changed in the last three months. I mean, I, four months ago, when you guys would have been thinking about this, we didn't know if planes were safe. We didn't know if packages were safe. We still thought that surface yeah. contamination was a much bigger deal than it is. And so those are all very valid concerns. And I, I lived in fear for, for two and a half weeks. Every every person that was within six feet of me is like, man, if they have the COVID and they give me the COVID, am I going to lose this job? Am I going to lose? Am I going to be replaced? Am I going to lose three and a half months of, of pay? And when we were prepping in Las Vegas, we were staying in a casino with the, the probably the most anti-maskers, people taking this the least seriously. And like, I would just get out of the, like I would walk in the elevator, some idiots would walk in behind me without masks. I'd get out of the elevator. It's like, I don't want you idiots to, ruin this for my family and for me oh that is exactly the thing that people don't get you're like you're not just putting yourself at risk you're putting everybody in our livelihood especially in yeah. your guys's case if if you had a, a sniffle you're like oh crap now i gotta go get another test i would can only imagine you guys were in fact this is a great time to get into that how did that start when did you guys first start getting covid tested day one I, day one I took before a, the flight a, uh on when? site we had a quarantine at home and and prep was also part of our our quarantine leading up to it then first test on day one they were tested every day it's like i took 104 covid tests all nasal uh shallow nasal it was a combination it was a shallow in each nostril and both sides of the mouth and i guess they like average it all together or something Oh, two, two separate swabs. That's important. <laughs> Let's be know. clear. Two swabs. <laughs> two, two swabs. Yeah. Yeah. Forgot about that. All right. So Hank, let's talk about it for you. When you got off the plane, what was the process of getting you from the air, from Orlando airport to the hotel? Uh, they had a pretty good logistics system in place. I mean, we got off. I remember getting off the Orlando air, like, you know, at the Orlando airport and it's just empty. Like, you know, the, the airports during this time were pretty eerie. Like this was in the early right. summer, I guess. And it's just like, everything is empty. Like I flew out of LaGuardia, just complete like ghost town. So it's like, I went to baggage claim and there was one, literally one guy in baggage claim holding like an NBA sign. And it's just like, Oh, that's probably for me. Like, you know, and he's okay. like, yep, I'm picking up you and like two other people who came in from New York and just like direct ferry to the hotel. And then it's like, you know, drop your bags and then turn right around and go get tested. Um, okay. Did you get a water bottle in your car? Uh, so my guy gave me a water bottle and he's like, this water bottle is yours because you may have touched it. If you don't drink it, it will be thrown out. So I recommend you drink it. It has uh, been yeah. sanitized. I didn't, I don't think I got a water bottle. <laughs> Yeah, they learned after Jackson tur turned down everybody's water bottle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, apparently the, we we don't do that anymore. The weirdest thing, uh, at least initially, so like when we started this, the first week and a half, 
uh, or almost two weeks was um, was just build out, right? So it was like setting up the venues, installing the LED screens, rigging all the lights, like whatever, right? And at that time, we weren't fully in what we would call quarantine, right? Like we weren't fully bubbled at that point. So we were staying at a Disney property, at a Disney hotel with other guests, like with, like people were still at Disney doing Disney stuff at that time. So we were like, we were supposed to be this like little, you know, being really safe and doing all these things. Right. And then we like walked through the lobby and there's like a family with their kids without a mask on, like, you know, on vacation. And we're like, what is, what is this world that we're living in? Yeah. There's definitely a lot of like, you know, well, you know, that first week there, because it was load in more or less and build out, there was a lot of local crew working with us. So you couldn't really like isolate it as tightly as we did uh, once like basketball started. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of like dashing through the lobby. And that was also like our last, you know, licks of delivery food service. So there was quite a bit of door dash to the lobby, like. Yeah. And there, there was also so a snitch line for anyone we saw not wearing a mask, you could call NBA security and, and report them. <laughs> Dear security, it's everybody. I'm in a Disney resort. It's well, this everybody. Is, this is for the on site. Like they'd have some of the carpenters building the court. Got it. Uh, wearing masks on their head or their chin or their ear or something. As far as I know, this is part of the reason that it went to Orlando and not to uh, anywhere else is because Orlando was more willing to allow stuff like that to happen. Uh, I can only imagine Orlando's a little bit more tourist oriented. They're like, yeah, look, we will figure this out as soon as people get down here. Okay. So once you guys started, uh, you know, after the load in, and you guys were able to lock down a little bit more. What was your daily protocol like? And let's start with uh, let's start with Hank on this one. What, what, starting waking up in the morning, what's your day like? Uh, I think there were really like two. There were two phases of the actual bubble because there's there was phase one where we were very much like in it, um, and it was you know pretty long days where it was like wake up, grab coffee, and it's we were all kind of in shifts, right? So back in the first half and like the quote unquote regular season, you know, there were up to seven games a day. Um, so typically three of us would be running and one of us would get like a day off. Um, but on a few days, all four of us had games. Um, and then it was like, okay, like go in, prep that show for the day. So check out all the new content for the, you know, the teams you have. Uh, typically you're grabbing like a team that, you know, Jeremy might've did yesterday. So it's like, all right, go through. Does everything make sense? Did Jeremy put some weird idiosyncrasies in here? Then now I have to like figure out what's on this fader. Um, and that was one of the big things we did is try to like standardize the show file and make sure that whenever we grabbed a new team. Across how many arenas? Uh, there were three broadcast courts. Okay. So yeah. So it was just like, you know, go like kind of wake up, make coffee. Two of us would go in maybe around 8 a.m., 8.30 bus was pretty common. Okay. Um, and then prep the games for that day. Game started at noon, and then they'd run till midnight most days. Go back to the pool, uh, have a drink, and then crash and do it all over again. Yeah, when we were in the regular season, I don't think the four of us sat down in the same place for probably a week and a half. As four of we us? Were, yeah. Yeah. There's like one day where I think I got back from the late game and Charles had the early game the next day and we overlapped for 10 minutes uh, and had a drink and then Charles went to bed. 
Wow. That is, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that's a long day work, but on the other hand, what else could you be doing? You know, it's yeah. not like well, you that, go. That leads us into phase two. Yeah. <laughs> and like there were, there was, you know, parts of this that were like really cool that only Disney could do. Right. So like for the quarantine period, like the seven days at the hotel where we couldn't do anything, we like, okay, we really need to previs all this content. Like we were going into it, like during all of Loden, I think we got like one piece of content from a team. So we spent like those seven days just pre previewing content with every team and like stepping through looks and whatnot. But Disney was able to give us a fiber link from the hotel back to the venue. So at the hotel, we could like twiddle on our laptops and touch all the servers at the venue, which was pretty sweet. And run previs on and the run servers. Previs and yeah. Uh, we had, move move content around and we had a problem that i mean maybe hank has encountered this in some of his architectural work but a problem that i had never had before when we made the connection uh our sfp cards that that linked the fiber between the switches didn't work and then we looked at them we realized oh these max out at 10 kilometers of fiber we have 18 kilometers of fiber between the hotel and the venue so we had to rush overnight uh new sfp cards so we could connect our network at the hotel and our network at the venue it was funny because like we were all heading into that quarantine like the, that that seven day period was one of our like collective as the entire bubble like everyone's biggest anxiety like while we were in loading everyone was like oh my god what the fuck are we gonna do for seven days we're gonna literally sit in our hotel room someone brings us this food and we just sit there right and for us at least like the four of us that was honestly like one of the busiest weeks of the entire thing for us like we were waking up at 8 a.m getting a whole bunch of content ready and then sitting on zoom meetings for eight to ten hours a day while i had like a ma3 in my room like hank had the server in his room jackson had something else in his room and we had ethernet cables running between all of our rooms so that we could show all the game presentation staff all across the country what their content was going to look like in D3 on the courts. So that that period of time actually kind of flew by. Yeah, I was not bored for a single second of being locked in my hotel room for, for seven days. You guys basically could have done the whole thing remotely then. We thought about that as well, so yeah. That was our like plan Z for if we all came down with COVID that we could, the only okay. thing that we couldn't take to our hotel room was uh, the intercom system. And we tried, Got but it. they needed some weird network requirements for that. But I mean, we had full KVM access, like D3 made us a new build because we were running into some problems because we had probably more video files than any project they had ever had. And we needed to kick the tires on it. So I think as soon as like, maybe Hank had the late game or Jeremy had a late game, I was sitting by the pool that was luckily literally nine footsteps from my hotel room door. I was sitting by the pool on the KVM that the second that his game went down, I was installing the new build of D3 and kicking the tires on it and making sure it didn't break anything all while having a Manhattan by the pool. Yeah, Jackson has a really good photo. I pulled it up uh, of like him sitting by the pool with the D3 GUI watching me run a game. It's pretty funny. I also remember that I, like right when we, we were given at the very end of quarantine, like uh, Katie, their production assistant, lovely woman, Katie, came by and like gave us our credentials at like 10 a.m. But technically we weren't like supposed to be out of quarantine until noon. But as soon as I got handed my credit, <laughs> I thought that I was free. So I just jumped out of 
my room and jumped in the pool and then like kind of looked around like no one else was out right and these Hank and I are at our windows like we're we're at our windows like dude what are you doing like (laughs) oops just like went back in my room and he's looking at me he's like dude like come on it's pool time like we we could finally get out of the room because our rooms looked at the pool so we seven days we just sat there looking at this pool like I want to go in that like come on and uh it's got chlorine you know what it'll kill anything we go in we hope right yeah if uh, if if the chlorine doesn't kill it, the the alcohol will kill it. You know, we don't know. Uh, but Hank, we were we were sort of talking about like the first phase, but then you were about to explain like oh, what yeah. phase two of life was like. So that was the first phase, and that was really like the regular season. Like it was like March Madness, just basketball, basketball, basketball. Yeah, um, and that occupies about four percent. Let's say again. I would say that you kept on trying to call it drinking from a fire hose. Like the whole thing was just yeah. like yeah. content, 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 new people, new people. How does basketball work? Like all this stuff, right? Sorry. Yeah. And you know, I had one last thing on before we go to phase two. I had a, I had a professor in college that said the, the best way to, to make life go past, life fly by is to do the same thing every day. And I think the first half of the bubble probably occupies 4% of my memory of the bubble. Yeah. Like there was a lot of those like days and i could remember very few of them of the regular season because it was yes, just every constant, day was exactly the same yeah constant deliverables run the game watch them shoot hoops have a drink have a drink repeat. yeah it's very uh, mechanical i would imagine it sounds like working on a on a, an assembly line yeah actually funny you mentioned that we all called it the basketball factory yeah uh, okay. But then, but then there was kind of like this this break, like a very like you know like a sh- a real shift in the thinking, and that was when the playoffs started, and it was kind of clear both from like the basketball operations side of things, like you know the players are acting different, families started coming into the bubble, or they were allowed to bring families in, so like there was kind of a whole gear sh- shift of you know what was going on. Um, And for a lot of teams, the regular season kind of didn't factor in the end of the regular season, didn't factor into their playoff rankings. So both from a basketball perspective and from like a just day-to-day perspective, things were very different, but you know, the schedule completely changed. So essentially we had the mornings to ourselves and then we didn't have to go in uh, to the venue until like maybe 1 PM for a four o'clock game or something like that. And we had also really gotten like the content system down everyone understood all the you know rasters and pixel spaces much more like so there's a lot less back and forth and it was like you know this well-oiled machine um and now it's like okay cool you essentially have work in the afternoons and the evenings like what do you do with all this time right you were just at it 100 like miles an hour for the last month and now it's like oh we have all this time how do we fill it okay so did you guys ever have an actual scheduled day off oh yeah we rotated days off more than anything else so kind of yeah in the early days it was like a day every six days or a day every five days on average but then i mean that was just like a life resuscitation day it wasn't really a relax we didn't have relaxation days until the playoffs when we were kind of working in every other day there was there was like i think it was either the day before the actual it was before scrimmages, it was after scrimmages and before the regular season started that we had one day off as like an entire bubble. I think there but wasn't then, there. Right. The, the, yeah. And then the, the day of the first day of the playoffs, there was also a pretty 
Like right. there's like only one game or something. So it felt like a day off because everyone's like, oh, like, there's only one game. But then like functionally, Chris, like the whole point that there were four of us, right, is that there were three broadcast courts. So one of us like functionally assigned to a court and Got then it. one rotating person slash in case someone gets sick. Right. So like we were all able to like rotate through and give each other <clears throat> days off. Um, but the problem, at least in the beginning, was that we never got to have a day off with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So like your day off was like pretty lonely, to be frank. Yeah, because it was just <laughs> everyone else was working. It was just you yeah. essentially like wandering around like uh... staring at the pool outside your hotel room. Yeah. Riding a bike around in a circle around the parking lot of the <laughs> resort again and again and again. Yeah. And then once we hit the playoffs, it was we lost one of the courts, but retained the four of us. So two of us would work in a day. Two of us would be off. So we had a lot of uh, date nights uh with the two people that were off on any given day and it'd be great like i'd have two days off and I'd have like date night with jeremy one night and then date night with hank the next night and then i'd go work the next two days and i'd have date night with charles and that started to get nice okay so normally both of you two are very active out and about i i'm always seeing photos of jeremy out in the mountaintops doing hikes uh jackson very similar i can only imagine that there was none of that there was no what a great segue. I was about to say uh, into what the bubble was truly about. To what occupies 80% of my memory of the bubble. You're right, Chris. How, how, what an astute observation of you. Well, we filled that time with our, our new love of pickleball. Pickleball? Uh, it became a bit of a cult classic uh, very quickly in the bubble. One of the, probably the most senior referee in the bubble was really into pickleball, probably the only one in the bubble prior to the bubble. Uh, and he had hoped to convince like maybe three other referees to play with him. So he could have a full four, four people to play. And it became really popular with the referees. I mean, they, they worked like one every two or three days, even from the beginning. So they had a court set up in the middle of campus that we'd walk by every day to lunch or dinner if we were eating uh, at the hotel. And they're like, oh, what's this pickleball thing? And they'd play until two in the morning and get noise complaints. But so by the time that we hit playoffs and we actually had some free time, Disney set up another pickleball court in one of the, the parking lots. So we we joked that the, the refs played on the varsity court and then there was this JV court out in the parking lot. So on one of our first days off together, we all went and played some pickleball and then started to get really addicting. And then some other people started joining us and then, the courts were always full. So we bought our own net off of Amazon and, and made another pickleball court. And very quickly, our days went from basketball, drink, sleep to pickleball, basketball, drink, sleep, and just played an absurd amount of pickleball. And that was, I mean, at least for me, where we kind of forged friendships with other people kind of outside of the technical world of it and people in the game presentation for the NBA, people working on the specific teams like it was kind of the great equalizer and like that's where I really made a lot of probably half of my friendships in the bubble yeah it's hard to underestimate how much pickleball was played both not only by us but by like the entire bubble campus like it yeah was probably, probably half the bubble like daily would play pickleball like it was the number one activity for for hours too right like we we had a group of between like on any given day between like four and 12 of us and we get there between like 7 30 and 8 a.m and play until lunch right like this wasn't just like oh let's play a game and then we done like we were all like let's 
and go, right? Like we have literally nothing else to do to occupy our time. And like, we all like, either I don't have to work today at all, or I have a game and my game's at like six o'clock. What literally, what else am I gonna do for the next 12 hours of my day? Um, and it became great. Like we all got in really good shape. We all got a lot of sunshine. We all made a lot of friends. It was sort of the highlight of the sort of like, it was a lot, it was incredibly cathartic, I think is like the best way to describe the whole thing, especially coming off of, a, of like an initial month of just drinking from a fire hose of work. In the most positive sense, that is a great example of the human spirit and our ability to connect and build community. In the most negative sense, that kind of sounds like the prison yard. Like, of course, oh, that's what happens in the prison yard. Yeah, it, the bubble was a, a healthy mix of prison and summer camp. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and also, like, when we weren't, so we didn't have enough courts uh, for everybody to be playing all the time. And so when you weren't playing pickleball, some of us would then go, like, while we were not on the court, go work out and do crunches and, like, exercises literally on the pavement. And we called that our prison workout while we were waiting for a court to open. I'm glad you guys didn't uh, separate into sex and start shanking each other yeah. over uh, <laughs> over who got the, the 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 good toothbrush, you know. So. Yeah, and I mean it got crazy because by the end of it, by the time we were in the finals, because um, Charles left at the end of the first round, and I think Jeremy left after the second or third round of the playoffs. It was just Hank and I finishing it out. There was a game of the finals every other day, which means Hank or I had a game on average every four days, but we'd each we assigned ourselves to a team and they would, so it'd be like Miami, Miami, LA, LA. So if, so like Hank would have a game and then a day off and then another game because it was his team and then a day off and then it would be Miami. And that would be my first game for the last, like I went, I think I went six or seven days without a game. Yeah. In the finals. The finals got a little crazy. So there's uh, a lot of pickleball. Like I'd, I'd play like two, four hour sessions of pickleball in a day. And, and by the finals, oh, too, like the campus is a similar thing, like had slowly kind of gotten smaller, right? Teams are leaving, but, you know, staff is leaving as well because they just don't have as many courts. Mm -hmm. And so by the end, like there was only the varsity court where the refs played. And that's where Jackson and I ended up, you know, like meeting all these other people because it's just like, oh, you know, now we all must play pickleball together. There's not enough for two courts. There's only enough for one. Yeah, like we're, we're playing pickleball with uh like espn anchor like played with richard jefferson who is a, a former nba player uh who's just the nicest guy and these like referees that like you've heard of and seen for for decades in the nba and like all these really like kind of mildly famous people in the nba but it didn't matter they're just pickleball buddies and it's yeah. great like one of the refs right was always my pickleball nemesis i don't know how this became a thing but he would always be like oh i'm playing you hank like gonna beat you this time like and then like, in the like... venue too like he'd be warming up to like to ref the nba finals and he'd see hank and just let it like yeah he'd like, like do one of these joke. like you know it's like i mean the other thing is that yeah. like a lot of us came into the bubble at least from like a lot of us on the production side because it was like fuse and then there was four wall down there doing lighting and then there was firehouse down there doing audio right like a lot of us weren't basketball people, right? And a lot of that, and that blew a lot of the basketball people's minds that we were not basketball people, right? Because so many of them, like they eat, live, breathe, sleep basketball. And so pickleball was actually, as Jackson said, kind of like the equalizer, right? Like if this was something that we were all like relatively fresh and new to that we could all kind of coalesce about and become sort of like, I don't know, it, 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 yeah. 
equalizer is kind of the best word to do. Not like there was a hierarchy, but just like uh -huh. a commonality for us all to that. We're all, all in the same place. Like we our our ranks within the bubble or jobs or everything didn't matter. Our pre-existing knowledge about the any games didn't matter. Like we were all on the same footing. Not that that was a problem anywhere else, but. I guess you could go in there like, I don't even know who you are, but we're playing pickleball right now. I don't yeah. care if you're six, six, seven right now. We're playing pickleball. Yeah, right it's like I introduced myself to Richard Jefferson. I had no idea who he was. Uh, and I was like, hey, man, I'm Jackson. What's your name? <laughs> I did the same thing to Scott Foster, probably the most well-known uh, NBA referee out there. I was like, I didn't see him off the court. I don't know who he was. He was like, yeah. playing pickleball. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that was kind of the beauty of the bubble though, too. It's like, you know, there's all these people playing pickleball. It's like, you see all these like, you know, NBA players just like biking or in like in the same circle that you bike in. Cause like, you know, here's like the six bubble activities at the hotel. Like, yeah. Pick one. Or like every, every now and then you're eating lunch in the cafeteria and then LeBron comes through on a bike in the cafeteria. Right on. Uh, I would imagine that would be even bigger if you guys were actual basketball fans, but <laughs> He's, I mean, he's still a very recognizable human being. Yeah. Yeah. He's I, a, I think he's I'm kind of glad I dude. wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like, you know, I thought I was relatively tall. And then, like, you just walk around there and you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a small dude. Turns out. Oh, yeah. Like, walking to go pick up packages and then, like, walking past Taco Falls is just like, oh, my God, dude. Like, seriously, you, you are you are tall <laughs> we're like looking on the court and seeing a referee and like man that guy's short he's probably like five feet and you play pickleball with him and he's taller than you yeah. oh wow yeah television does that there there will be more people listening that are going to be going through the same situation if you could talk to yourself or send an email to jackson four months ago what would you what would be your best advice to uh, uh, anybody who's about to go into the bubble Start watching pickleball videos earlier. <laughs> if someone else has something deeper, go ahead. Cause my, my head is totally. Let, let's go to Hank. If you, what was the, let's say, what are the three things that you would pack? Oh yeah. I mean, we all did pack like a coffee setup, I think. Um, and that was kind of important. <laughs> like, again, it's the same coffee you're going to drink for three months. Like vary it up, man. Get yourself an Aero press. It's worth it. Um, okay. I would also then say like, especially for the bubble, because we were in these like close conditions, but also isolated, like bring more games. Like, you know, I don't think anyone brought any like board games or deck of cards or mm -hmm. anything like that, but like bring some things to like, you know, foster that sense of community. Like pickleball was, you know, kind of introduced for us, but like the guy who did it was a hero. So like be the hero of your bubble and like bring a volleyball net or XYZ, whatever COVID friendly, you know, activity there is. Like that's a huge piece of like okay. the building community aspect. Um, Chess, cards against humanity, something like that. Just bring yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just bring it. Be be that hero uh, who you know does does something fun for the group, um, even when we're all like wearing masks and a little freaked out and like religiously spraying down Lysol everywhere. Um, <laughs> like that that commonality is important. All right. How about I, you, Jeremy? What what uh, what's your advice? To anybody who's about to go into the same uh, into a similar situation, uh, I definitely second the coffee mentality. Like that was number one. Um, 
I think like we have come to, I, this is going to sound a little uh, elitist. Okay. This is going to sound <laughs> a little Jeremy, right? But we've, uh, we in like the, the entertainment, especially like the concert world are kind of used to like a, a, like a level of catering, right? Like, and like, oh, there's like nice coffee or there's like nice food or there's salads or like whatever, right? And <clears throat> I think the sports world, at least the part of the sports world that we were in didn't aspire to that, right? And that was totally fine. But I think what we realized is like, you kind of need, if, whatever is important to you, you really need to make sure that you bring with you into the bubble. And whether that's like a really good coffee setup or like I ordered in like a, an excessive amount of meat and cheese at one point, because like, I was like, oh my God, I just need something that feels like home or like something that feels like a little bit of a luxury amidst the sort of like um, institutionalized cafeteria food that we basically had <laughs> for lack of a better term. So I think, bringing creature comforts is like kind of what I'm getting at. Like if coffee is important to you, bring coffee. If meat and cheese is important to you, bring it. Like if a, if like your jump rope is the thing that helps you get through your day, do it, you know? I think that is, is pretty important. I think we, at least I wasn't very good about connecting with like friends and family or anybody outside of the bubble while I was in the bubble. And I wish that I had. It was like kind of an emotionally draining situation. And I think if I had reached out and spent more time like making Zoom calls or calling family or like whatever, I probably would have been in a little bit more happy of a mental state throughout the entire thing. So I would encourage, I would encourage people to do that. Yeah, oh, that's, a, I, that's something I want to bring up before we go anywhere else. But I mean, that is such a tough decision to make because when as roadies, we're so good at just focusing and just kind of like letting our significant others know like hey look i'm going to be really focused for these two weeks please don't call i love you i'm going to reconnect with you but i mean for 106 days that's too much you can't you can't use that same tactic that must have been a, a tough decision for you to make yeah i think it it was a bit more of an it was more of an emotional toll than i was expecting right like i've been on tour i've been on four month long tours, right? But I've always had like three days off that I could fly in my significant other, or I've had like, or we've gone to a beautiful beach and had a really nice day off in the middle of the entire thing, right? There was none of that in this. Not that it wasn't time off, but like your time off was, you couldn't get away. Emotionally, physically, the weather was still the same. It always poured every day at three o'clock, you know, like it was literally Groundhog Day. So I think anyone who's entering anything similar, even if it's just like three or four weeks, right? Like be really cognizant about your mental health and like figure out what it is that makes you um, happy and bring it with you. And to their credit, right? Like the NBA was really, really good about providing like services and advice about like, yes, like here are exercise things you can do, like go ride a bike, go do this, go do this. Also, we understand the toll that this is taking on everybody, players, staff, league staff, et cetera. Like whatever you need, we will help you with. You need to talk to somebody, you got it. You need this, you got, you know what I mean? So I would also maybe encourage someone who's going into this to like talk to their supervisor team and be like, what are our resources aside from just like food and money, right? Are you guys like, do we have anything? And if not, okay, I'm going to go figure out what my resources are so that I can be prepared, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everyone's answer, like creature comforts and board games and all of that, I mean, it all comes down to mental health. I mean, like the, I think the biggest thing that I did for myself, uh, I brought the sheets for my bed. I brought the pillow for my bed. I bought 
brought the pencil cup that sits on my desk. I brought like my shampoo. Like, I just brought everything from home that I could and like really tried to make my desk setup feel like home, my bed feel like home. That went a long way for me. And it's like, you can't underestimate and undervalue uh, every little piece that contributes to your mental health. Because I, wanna, I mean, in terms of the stuff Jackson brought, like, cause this is a pretty funny anecdote. Like he, uh, he also wanted to bring some plants and like <laughs> grow some plants, uh, which is cool. Like I got some plants and put them in my window, kind of make it feel like home. But Jackson uh, in standard Jackson fashion went a little overboard. And so in his window, like, you know, hotel room, one window facing the pool. Like he put, yeah, motel like, style. So motel like style. walks right past the hotel window. Yeah, like he walked right by the window. He put uh, like this, he like had like moved his whole like bedside table thing into the window, put plants on it and then put a grow light on top. So from the pool, it just you would just see like fluorescent grow light out of this one person's window. And for a while people were like, is that and what are they growing yeah because i just i I wanted to i was like what's a good hobby for three and a half months i was like ah growing plants from seeds takes about three and a half months so i had a bunch of little seed trays but before they started sprouting no one had any idea what i was growing but to be clear right like when jackson told us that he was buying all this i was like dude this isn't a hobby this takes no time out of your day like this is not an activity this is just a thing that sits in the corner like yeah you have to like water it once every two days or whatever but like i didn't really understand the like this is going to take up time and and fulfill me i wasn't no it was more it, like it, something it, that's going to take linear time feel like home you know it's 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 about creating the vibe Jeremy. yeah I was, but, I was after a hobby that takes linear time but prior time to this, like day. jackson is not like a grower right like <laughs> there are not a lot of plants in your house i mean maybe there are now i haven't been there in you know 9 months but it was and very funny. Plant wall? Classic Jackson thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you seen my fireplace? Yeah. Those are all dead. Yeah. So were <laughs> the ones in my window in the bubble. <laughs> I know yeah. that we're we're sharing war stories right now, but man, the monotony and the mundaneness of that work flow is, is really tough. It, we're not designed for it. We're not. We're not assembly line workers. And this is definitely something you have to be aware of. You have to ask all the questions and make definitely make sure that you're taking good care of yourself because this is a fully immersive work environment. This is literally, in the negative sense, it's a work camp where you, you're there just to work. So you got to be very aware of, the, of what this situation that you're getting into is. I, I, think, I think you guys can back me up on that. Absolutely. Yeah. I also think it's sort of funny that you're talking about war stories. Like we talked a lot about our own personal war stories, but at no point during this conversation, okay. we didn't actually, we didn't actually talk about any of the technical war stories of which there were, there were many as well. Right. Like I remember during the games, like I was working game seven of the, that, that's the first that's war story. Yeah, that's, the first one? That's, that's, that's the, first the one, one that sits in my mind. Cause it was like the last yeah. one that I experienced, <laughs> but it was like game seven nuggets. Who was it? Nuggets and who else? The Clippers, uh, the, the Heat, right? No, it was Nuggets Lakers. Yeah, it was Nuggets Lakers. Nuggets oh. Lakers. It was like the deciding game about who of them was gonna go into the semifinals. And the E two crashes on me, like live on broadcast. E two crashes like right before uh, halftime, right? And like I've got literally every person in the whole room yelling at me on comms because I'm like the you know the video person in the room being like, our screens are gray. Our screens are gray and strobing literally what the f is going on right now and i'm like 
you know, like you just, you just can't make this shit up sometimes. You're just like, well, you're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait until we get the halftime and reboot the frames and see what happens. You know, like, sorry guys, please cut around it. Like I can't do anything, you know, but I mean, you guys probably have some better war stories and that's the one that sits with me. I mean, maybe how, maybe we should go back to how the season started. Yeah. Jeremy had a very bookended experience. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I got kicked in the nuts every time. So the first game of the actual season was at like three o'clock on a Thursday. And obviously we know the, the NBA has been um, champions of social justice and, and racial justice for, for years. And especially coming into the bubble, like this was a very important message that they were trying to get out. Right. And so in the, game intro which is like the period of time before you know tip off they had uh made a like one minute long social justice video right that was you know i honestly i don't even remember the context of it because i was so focused on just like make the thing play correctly right and this was the first game where broadcast was going to take our feed straight from the d3s and send it on air right it wasn't which if you if anyone listening to this takes anything away from this don't ever do that yeah don't do that (laughs) um usually like if we're playing like the national anthem or whatever right like they are the cameras are shooting the players they're shooting the reactions they're shooting some of the flags and the boards but they're not taking our feed straight out of the servers and so we were tasked with playing back this this very important uh social justice video and we got a version of it at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Then we got another version of it at like five. And then we got another version of it at like seven or something. I don't quite remember what the timing was, but I got three up versions, but I couldn't play the last one out to the room because by the time that I got the last one, there were players in the court and there were people in the room. There was all this stuff. Like and the press was there back. and they didn't want the press to see it before. Yeah. Yeah. So Whoa. I laid it back in my GUI on D3 and I heard it coming out of my speaker and I could see it in the GUI and I was like, okay, like it's playing correctly. It's in time, it's in sync, like, great. We had been chasing a bug in the D3 for the past two or three weeks. The thing reared its ugly head. And so what happened was we come around at a time, like roll the national anthem, do the national anthem, come out of the national anthem. Okay, play the social justice video, black, 100% black. Audio, audio. The, the audio is coming out of the room. The players are all still standing right after they, they were kneeling for the national anthem. Now they're standing and they're looking at the black scoreboard and broadcast. This is this is pre anthem. Yeah, pre anthem. This is this is the know, first. Like, this is the first live televised moment of the NBA season restart in the room on the court. No yeah. other programming had happened prior to them flipping the on button for the feed coming from Orlando. And it, it's just black. <laughs> And uh, it was probably the most mortifying moment of my professional career in the past five years because of like both like the gravitas of like what that moment was, that it was like the opening of the season, the messaging behind the video, et cetera, et cetera. We, we, turned, we found out that this was a bug in the D3 that we'd been chasing and we knew immediately what happened. Once it happened, we knew immediately what happened, but it didn't change the fact that it was still pretty, and pretty big gut punch. 
And meanwhile, I have the second game of the season in the other court. And I, I'm like, I turned Hulu on on my laptop and I was watching this and I see the black and I realized what had happened. And I was like, oh crap. So like, I, and I have the same video package in my game. So like, I'm like, well, there's going to be people standing here in like 20 minutes asking me if I've seen it. So I'm just going to start running it over and over and over and over again. And then sure enough, 20 minutes later, all the big wigs come in. They're like, so do you have the new version? Is it, is it going to work tonight? And I'm like, yep, I've run it 20 times. Uh, it, it, it's going to work. <laughs> How long was the black four, Jeremy? Uh, a good minute. A well, it was package. a, yeah, we yeah just, it was a cause... two or three minute package, but then they, they just started cutting around the shots on the court instead of taking our black feed. So it was only black to air for about 10 seconds. Not okay. even, but yeah, like if you like watching at home, you probably couldn't, like, you might not have like known, right. Like they cut around it pretty well, but yeah, we were all like, Oh, Ouch. Yeah, that's, Jeremy. That's our world. That's our life. Yeah, world. so that was my game one. And then my game seven was the E2 failing on me in the mid, like right before halftime. And similarly, every turning, every turning around to me being like, what the hell is happening? I'm like, eh. It's also and like, got, yeah. When we like, played okay. that many games, right? Like we're, we were going to have problems at some point, right? Yeah. And I think all of us ran into like something where it's like, ah, oh, you know, like a versioning bug or E2 failing or like I had a machine go on me one day. Uh, and never come back. It just kicked the bed and never, never returned. Or we have all the console. We have seven consoles in session, and someone sets their cup of coffee or something on a button in another room. Yeah, and then that in happened. The middle of the Brooklyn Nets playing, the Nets win graphic pops up in the fourth quarter. But I mean, out of like 185 or so games, I think Jeremy had the two biggest uh, yeah ass puckering. Congratulations! Hits, and then we all had a couple small bugs here or there but from so, previs i definitely like turned charles's core off once accidentally like yeah. i was still in the wrong thing and he like he's like hey uh something's happening uh, i say- remember charles charles was like in the middle of a game for like the san antonio spurs or something and then like all the washington wizards content content just started showing up all over his screens right because like the whole system was networked and it was all through one router right so like you could send anyone's feed to any core accidentally if you weren't really paying attention to what you were doing like the whole the whole system was not bubblegum and paper clips like it was a very robust system with like a lot of features but it could all cross paths if it wanted to even it though was, it kind of never yeah. wanted to it was it was like four formula one cars all ready to go but like you know but all if, taped to each other yeah so like you know if all of us were driving like together, it was great. But if someone wanted to like make a left and someone's still going straight, like we had a bit of a problem. Why did you guys have to have them all network together? Uh, to keep everything updated. Because so if the Lakers are playing on court one and they're playing the, the Nets and then the next day the Nets are playing on court two and the Lakers are playing on court three or something like just because of all the permutations of it, like we would have had to have a separate NA show file for every single team so we could Got not it. have made changes that iterated across everything and like i might have the lakers on court one one day and then hank might have the lakers on court two another day so it would have just been a, a housekeeping nightmare that we, we just would not have had the time Got to it. split those files up and keep them all in sync and pass them back and yeah. forth it's also like the, the mindset of uh everyone you know who kind of worked in basketball it's like they have a home arena with their home equipment and their home team so like they're mm-hmm. very used to like well the ex- you know, expectation is like, well, if I show up here today and, you know, in the other venue tomorrow, like I should still have the same show. Right. Got it. 
Um, and so we essentially really didn't want to have to like recreate the show and re-update everything and like take notes somewhere. And so it's just like, nah, everything's together. Any update I make here, we can push to, you know, it's already pushed to all the other venues. Okay. So I talked to Brent and they tried something similar for the NHL and they just had to abandon it completely for the, for the exact things that you're talking about. But uh, the NHL, it wasn't nearly as much uh, video as it was lighting. So they, they abandoned that. And initially the system was siloed. It was, you know, an MA session and a D and a D three session per court. But we very quickly realized that it would be, it would literally be a nightmare to, to have 22 different show files and 22 different sessions or like, you know, however it was going to mm-hmm. work out. So it, it was very dangerous for us because you could very quickly screw somebody on another court, but at the same time, it saved us, I think, a lot of time in the room. I think we would not have had the time. Yeah, we, yeah. To, we, would, not, we would not have accomplished what we did. Like we used 100% of the time we had available because we got kicked out of the, the venue from midnight to 8 a.m. so they could clean it. So, and like we, we hit the ceiling on time and we wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. Yeah. yeah, there were there were a few days in the beginning, like many, where I remember like distinctly getting yelled at by like the production manager, like, nope, go home. That's it. Like we have to make this into, you know, which, go from the God. green zone to the yellow zone so that they can clean it. Yeah, which was kind of fantastic. Cause otherwise, you know, we could have easily burned ourselves into a little hole like updating content every yeah, day. Yeah, I think we had morning. Over twenty thousand file deliveries over the course of the bubble. I thought we had wow fourteen thousand media files. Yeah, we had. A, I think we had fourteen thousand unique files. I think we had twenty thousand uh, like versions, etc., uh, including up versions. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh man, that is that's a lot of processing. It's a lot. Yeah, of content. like we, yeah. we broke D three. The D three GUI was not designed to handle that many that pieces much of video. Yeah. Like they were, re- they were writing patches and stuff. I mean, just to open up the media manager on D3 for it to scan everything and for, for the Python script to just write the GUI took 90 seconds. Wow. And yeah, that's definitely not bubble gum and duct tape. That's something that uh, you're going to need a robust system to handle all that. Uh, one other question I wanted to ask you guys was about the, the protest. How did, uh, how did that come down to onto your desk? Did you guys, was that a day off for you guys or was that another, another bunch of work for you guys? when kind of the Milwaukee, I guess not postponed, but uh, I mean, that was interesting because I was actually working that Milwaukee game. Um, and so we had on comms, it was just, you know, like start of a normal game. And, you know, someone told us at the, I think the 60 minute mark, like, Hey, there's, there's rumblings and, you know, whatever, whatever happens, it's clearly going to be on TV and it's going to get picked up. So like just the normal, you know, like we are, we are not going to deviate from what normally we do. And like, you know, so it's just like, okay. And you know, you'll see there was the Milwaukee bucks in the background while everyone was taking their TV shots. And we were just kind of like waiting. Like, it was just like, yeah, games halted, go back. And, you know, everyone kind of got to breathe for a day, you know, I think really like right after, you know, the pools were like kind of the gathering point. So everyone was sitting by the pool and, you know, the refs had said, we're going to do something tomorrow morning. And I think, you know, a lot of people were like, clearly the players are having this big discussion and topic and it's, you know, important. Like what can we do in our, you know, incredibly privileged position of being in the bubble back them okay. and support them. And, you know, the refs had organized a walk that I think we all took a part in and, you know, just trying to do our little part as a, 
you know, community there as the staff. Cool. Just, yeah. did, this, did the same thing you can always do in the bubble is just walk around in circles. But that time we did it with a purpose. <laughs> yeah. Just take a kneel for the pickleball game that day. <laughs> there, there was no pickleball that morning. It, it, was, it was an afternoon game. Yeah. I can only imagine what you and your family went through, Jackson. That sounds like a lot for, for Mrs. Jackson. You know, it actually ended up being great because I worked my ass off while my wife was pregnant so I can spend some more time now that uh, we have the kiddo. Uh, so a very fortunate or lucky or whatever word we described to use or decided cool. to use to describe that. Thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Good talking to you, Chris.